into another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Miss Kinsey Moreland. She's a arts and culture editor over at San Diego City Beat. She came up to the compound and sat down for an interview. We discuss a number of different topics. First, I got to figure out when I'm doing these interviews how not to interrupt people. I, I blamed it on the wine and Jackie's interview, and it seems like I just have uh, a tendency to just try to interject my words in the middle of people's sentences, and I'm going to do my best to try to uh, stop doing that. And now I have it on record, so I actually have to follow through, which I did a, a Skype interview with John Tripp just the other day. And we had to sort of give, we had to give ourselves spaces to talk so that you don't squelch one another or talk over one another. But we should just get right into this thing. We talk about Pete Dog, of course, gets in at the beginning of the show like he always likes to do. Um, Dirty Water Bowls, Bayfield, Colorado, San Francisco graph culture. We talk about localitarianism, returning to the urban center, NAFTA, TJ Zebras, capitalism, idle hands, homeowning. Uh, this American Life and Planet Money, The Power of Art, The Live Free House, uh, Sumerians, The Uncertainty Principle, Vaccines, and a number of other topics. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Miss Kinsey Moreland. I gave you a tree and you did not embrace it. I gave you a nightmare and you didn't change. I'd give you a dream and you'd only wake from it. Now I'll never go to sleep. I had to close my situation. So everybody does Mario and Dreddy around my corner. <laughs> you haven't made it all the way up yet, right? When we talk, you weren't to the top of the hill yet? Uh, yeah, my navigation told me to stop a few driveways before yours, so. I drove up this ridiculously steep driveway and got up there, and it was like a ranch. So I was like, I don't think he lives on a ranch. Hmm. But. No. Compound. We call it a, I call this a compound. Do I get to pick the music that you intro in? Uh, <laughs> no, but you can have an influence if you'd like. I, actually, if you wanted, you could pick um, you could pick the opening track, but it's usually only... the en- If you want to pick the ending track, the ending track is the one to go for. It. Um, do you get permissions, or do you just use... I don't give permission to do anything. <laughs> I know. They, it, um, yeah, no. The copyright police won't come down on you until you get world famous. The way I see it, like, I always, uh, well, actually, lately I've been lagging on saying who everybody, who the songs are. Yeah. I like. I should be putting them in the blog. That Okay, right now, since I said it on it. record, in the blogs, I'll start mentioning who the bands are that are in the thing. And I was doing, I was using the, um, the text edit voice robot mm-hmm. to just say it for me so that it sounded different because <laughs> yeah. it, it sounded weird like saying the music at the end right so i did that for a minute and then um but now i'll put it in the blog because i'm That's making what I've been doing. i'm making cool blogs for each little episode nice. like that don't was what i like about it is that the blogs don't make any sense until after you've listened to the podcast that's good so it's a, it looks like a, just a mess of pictures and videos and like weird references Right. Besides, if it's an artist or something, I'll put their photo or maybe some of the work that they do. Right. Another reminder here. He gets to take his collar off during the show so he doesn't go. <laughs> all right. Almost all the boundaries are out of the way. Almost. Right. They're so handsome. Yeah, he's a good boy. <laughs> he likes to get on the show. He should bark or 
make some weird sound. Special guest, the Andy Richter. He secretly runs the show. <laughs> Are you the or producer? He's, kind of, he's like that uh, praying mantis from Space Ghost. More like. <laughs> He's got a little knot there, huh? Yeah, it's a cyst. Poor baby. His high-stress lifestyle. No, I think it's from, um, I think they form from a bacteria or something. Mm-hmm. Which he had a, a wart on his head, too. <laughs> which was from um, drinking out of water bowls, other dogs' water bowls. Oh. Which is something that all, which I didn't know until I took him to the vet, but uh, all dog owners should know that. That, uh, they can get warts. that they get warts just from drinking out of the same water bowl. So oh. all those water bowls you see, like the nice dog park. Things, well, the dog park and the people who put the uh, yeah the things out of their business. Sorry, is that bothering you? I need to be better about that now. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming up and doing the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah. glad to be here. Let's um, let's talk about you for a while here. <laughs> um, My favorite where'd you, subject. Where'd, where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in a tiny little mountain town in Colorado. It's called Bayfield, which more people know Durango, but even Durango, which was kind of the big city, is relatively unknown. So six hours from Denver, (laughs) if you want to put it into the big city perspective. But yeah, small mountain town, country girl, Uh grew up in the sticks. And how long were you, did you stay out there till 18 or till you went to college or something? Yeah, well, I moved out. I was a punk. Punk robber? Or <laughs> no, just, just an asshole. <laughs> and so nice. I moved out when I was like, oh gosh, maybe before my 18th birthday and I moved to the bigger town and now, and then as soon as I was able, I uh, got a nanny job and moved to San Francisco. Oh, nice. And so I lived in San Francisco for exactly a year, uh, gained my California residency and then g- applied to some schools, got accepted to a few and came here to San Diego. Nice. How, San Francisco's awesome, right? Hell yeah. San Francisco's amazing. And um, I used to, I was big into photography when I was a, a kid, a youngin. Yeah. And so I would go out and shoot all the street art there. And that, so I, I would have to say that probably that was kind of my first interest in art. And what year was that? Oh, that was in 2000. So. Which was a really good time. Like yeah. that was like, you know, it wasn't the birth of, of, I guess, I guess it's sort of the birth of what we call street art now. Obviously, graffiti had been around for a long time, and mm-hmm. graffiti, the graffiti culture in San Francisco is um, above and beyond most major cities. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, you could go, I would, I called them alley tours, and I wasn't, you know, uh, I was still 18, so I wasn't together enough to go and figure out who these artists were and put it together in any sort of uh, narrative way, but I went out and which, you know, you could walk down the alley and every alley there was just a piece that was so beautiful. And, and the artists had respect for each other, so there weren't, you know, there wouldn't be ugly tags over, over the bigger pieces. And I did um, these photo collages where I would go and shoot different textured backgrounds like brick and stone and then take the pieces and put them all into one panel so that mm-hmm. it would be like a, a tour of an alleyway. So Yeah. What do you think it is in that city that that allows for such a strong support? Do you think it's the the architecture? Do you think it's the structure <laughs> of the city itself? It is. You know, it's a seven-mile city. I think it's like seven miles by seven miles. So the density is way up. I mean, you can walk. There's actually a, a, a race called Beta Breakers where you go mm-hmm. from the um, bay to the ocean. And it's, you know, actually a pretty quick, easy run or walk. <laughs> yeah. So it's just such a small city. Um 
And it's definitely more urban than what that of like San Diego or, you know, even LA has the sprawl thing going on. So, so yeah, you're influenced by, by other artists more. You bump into other artists everywhere yeah. you go. And also the weather sucks. <laughs> and so most of the time you're trapped indoors and either you get bored and do a bunch of drugs or you make art. <laughs> right. That's actually been a reoccurring topic lately with a lot of uh, the last few guests that I've had. Um, about how people who have time to sit and think sort of get more into, um, you know, expanding their mind, where people who have more time outside in the sun have more time to, like, focus on... Uh, their body. Ex- their body and <laughs> extracurricular activities and, and doing uh, things outdoors where, you know, maybe you get... And I, I tried to relate it to, like, maybe you get some of the same... Uh, like physical rewards that you get that are equal to the mental rewards that we get from like reading a book or working on something creative. But there's something different about the creative mind to be able to entertain yourself in a small space without much to do with, without using your own mind. Whereas like if you're outside, you got like this ball you're throwing around, mm-hmm. you run around jumping in the waves or you, other things are, are preoccupying. You're not, you're not really preoccupying yourself. Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's so tempting for me. And, you know, I recently moved to Colorado and then moved back to San Diego. Uh And while I was kind of miserable in Colorado just because I wasn't ready for kind of the culture shock of a small town, that town is a very outdoorsy place. But during the six months of winter, you're trapped inside. And that's when I started doing, like, I started a radio show. I taught myself how to edit video and how to edit audio all Uh in this, you know, period of, like, six months. And I never ever would have done that in San Diego. And now I'm driving myself nuts. Like I have all these, you know, I go down to Mexico and I do these audio pieces um, for fun, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and I finally... Which I want to touch on that okay. in a little while. But I finally posted my first one and like it took me, you know, because every weekend I'd be like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to fucking do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold myself up in my little office and I'm going to make it happen. But then days like this happen. <laughs> it's a, let, let's mention that it's 79 <laughs> degrees uh, in January. <laughs> Outside, there's not a cloud in the sky except for the ones the airplanes make. Yeah, it's just so gorgeous. And how, you know, I don't know how you do it. I'm, I'm so impressed by San Diego artists like you. Um, and, you know, Kelsey is also, Kelsey Brooks is a surfer, you know, and like a lot of, a lot of the artists here do live here for the weather as well. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if that explains you. You said some sort of secret magnet keeps you here, so yeah. we could get into that later. But, <laughs> but it impresses me because it's so hard for me to focus when it's so beautiful outside. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, um, for me, like yesterday, I was like, yesterday was an equally beautiful day. So I said, what the fuck, I'll go outside and make <laughs> some panels. You know, so it's still a part of my art process. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what's nice is that being a professional artist, I can give myself uh, five hours of the day to go be outside if that's what I feel like doing that day. Mm -hmm. I have that freedom. Right. Um, And then I could take those extra five hours that I put into that and and work it out from ten to two. Or right. something, you know what I mean? Like, I have that freedom as well. Mm-hmm. You just find that balance. Right. And for me, like, I could... And I really like working during the day, which is obviously, like, some of our nicest time part mm-hmm. of, of our 24-hour span. <laughs> but for me, it doesn't even... It does. It's not even... Like, I could... I've been... I've now... I have about 15 hours mm-hmm. of podcast. Wow. Maybe plus my... You know, give or take what I've taken out. 
and really it's kind of fun for me to do the edits like but i know what you mean like that like i'm gonna get there but once i start like i don't really want to stop that's true it's yeah. absolutely true that's how i am it's something about that it's that little procrastination devil <laughs> that gets in the way and then we can you know account for weather or all these other things that you know sort of like a lot of people like for instance blame weed for people being lazy and doing like dumbass shit <laughs> but really it's lazy dumbasses who do lazy dumbass shit yeah and they just might happen to smoke pot too, right? <laughs> but the weather really is the best and worst thing about san diego i love it i love it it's but so it nice is... to look at the map <laughs> and then see the other cities in like 40 degree weather and we have 79 but yeah but the pro you know we don't we are one of the large you know we're in at least the top 10 largest cities in the u.s um, but media market-wise, art market-wise, we are not on the grid. No, not at all. Um, and and I blame that on, on the weather. On the weather, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it attracts a certain type of person. And, and also on the sprawl. You know, Southern California yeah. has... Well, even from general perception, if you ask anybody in the country, uh, what do you think about San Diego? It's going to be uh, great weather, beaches, the zoo... And fucking Shamu. <laughs> that's a, that's what the that's culture what is, for, yeah. is is known for. It almost makes this city and the people who are from this city seem cultureless. And what attracts so many people to uh, Tijuana and Mexican art, and why there's such a strong focus on cross border um, uh, cultural activities, mm -hmm. because it has this long history of this like strong cultural heritage. Right. That's um, easy to draw a little line around. Mm -hmm. And that's not to devalue any of those things, but in terms of like when we're thinking about like an art culture. Right. That's why San Diego has mm -hmm. never thought of that way because it, it has these these five little um, uh, talking points. Right. For everyone. And and when you have those, it's, it's really easy to just be like, okay, it's this, this, and this. Right. You know, it's almost like I... I I can relate it to a sports thing, which I actually, I gave up on the Chargers this year and sort of <laughs> last year. And I know I don't even pay attention to either one now and it doesn't matter if they win or lose and it feels so great. Congratulations. But, uh, yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> but whenever um, sportscasters talk about Antonio Gates, they can't help but bring up that he played basketball in college and that he has all these basketball skills mm -hmm. because he sort of utilized them. But then it turned into this thing where it's like, okay, here's this little thing that you could say because we don't have anything else to say besides what the plays are <laughs> right. so i think that becomes what what the culture becomes perceived as mm -hmm. is those five fucking talking points yeah and unfortunately that's what it's become right but what's interesting to think about is um so santa fe new mexico it's in at least the top five art markets in the world but i think if you go and you talk to a lot of the local artists there um they i don't think they benefit that much from it you know, Santa Fe is known as a place where you go and you buy kind of the southwestern art. Right. So if you're there making, you know, the type of art you make, for instance, you, there's one gallery there. There's one kind of pop art gallery. That, I think that's the name of it even is pop art. <laughs> and yeah. It's tiny. It's like this. It's, it's a tiny, tiny gallery. I mean, they do a lot with their little space. But I think if you went and did a survey of the local artists, I know for a fact, like the City Beat equivalent there mm -hmm. doesn't have an arts writer. So they don't really cover the low, and, and when they do cover art shows, it's at the galleries that are showing artists from Mexico City or, you know, and, and Mexico City, that's another mm -hmm. art, um, that's another art capital of the world. And uh, 
I don't know. I mean, do you think it's maybe kind of the same thing as San Diego? Like how there's like this really, uh, like pop culture ugly focus on palm trees and dolphins and big whales. Where in San Diego? Like what if with the people who follow art in San Diego, like the like. Uh. Like, the masses or, like, the art sheeps, you know, are, are really, like, that's, be, and it's only because that that's what's in their peripheral vision. So the people who are around here all the time are seeing, well, they're seeing a couple things. Mm-hmm. I think they're seeing a lot of bad abstract art, which seems to be, like, rolled over from the 80s. Right. Where the people who can actually afford to buy art are still stuck in that, like, culture where, like, that was the art star of their time. Right. And have kind of failed to move forward, kind of. Although those things may be changing, like, within this last year, uh, I think there may be some shifts occurring. Hopefully. uh, Which is good. (laughs) But, um, and I don't know, maybe this is just my personal perception Mm -hmm. based on, like, my own, like, thoughts and, you know, ideas or even insecurities or whatever. But, like... It seems as though the people who could afford to buy art are stuck in palm tree dolphin land, like La Jolla <laughs> Cove. Wyland. <laughs> or, how was it going to say anything? But, you know, people can draw their own conclusions. Oh, I um, Or, like, the sort of abstract works that we're seeing at um, the La Jolla Museum and, and downtown that are sort of like this still stuck in that um, abstract expressionist sort of like 80s mm-hmm. LA culture that would like blew up right even before that before you know before the 80s but like that it, through that like prosperous time period you know it almost feels like they still want to grab a hold of that and not move on you might, that be might just be something you know I mean my my theory about the you know the art market here is that most of the collectors are in La Jolla or, you know, Rancho Santa Fe. Yeah. You know, they're... And, and they actually don't buy art from San Diego unless it's, you know, Quint. <laughs> you know, their local... Lower, unless they're buying from one of their trusted local galleries. But a lot of times, you know, those aren't local artists. Um, I think what I want to see happen, and I think it will happen, is, you know, the local food movement is huge. So now even... Right. Like, vegetarians are seeing the benefit of maybe not being a vegetarian anymore and being a local terrian where you honestly try to buy food that is at least in you know i don't know how hardcore you want to get but at least grown in california maybe yeah and that's huge like in colorado everyone was in that movement and in weird ways places that are out in the country are more progressive than people in the city in that way Uh and i don't really know why but so i think you know that movement has started in food but it's going to move out. It's going it's to co- move to furniture. You know, it's everything that is in your house. People should make a map and say, where did this come from? Where did this come from? Yeah. Where did this come from? And then that's look at it. Idea. And, you know, and that's what I only buy local art. I have in my collection, I have artists from San Diego, Mex- Tijuana, and Colorado. Because those are the three places I've right. lived. That's that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think and- everybody else should consider doing the same. Well, and that's, that's a point I bring up quite a bit about... Um, like when people when we start talking about how bad the economy is and how like shitty everything is instead of just complaining about it like use your dollars that that you do have left and and use them in a smart way right. like your vote really doesn't fucking matter like you can <laughs> you could be much more um, empowered by you by choosing the way you, you use your dollars and where you where you put that money and yeah. the more you put that back into your own local economy the more you're going to improve 
your local economy. So, like, for instance, we were talking about San Francisco earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking with my buddy about how what it was like up there during this recession. And there wasn't as many issues as, as we found in other cities. Now, hmm. I think a lot of more people rent in San Francisco possibly than, than buy. Like, You're probably, yeah. There isn't, like, there isn't really the suburbs. Yeah, there wasn't there. that housing crash that we all... But at the same time, there's a huge support for local, privately owned business. Absolutely. And within each little neighborhood in the city, people go to these different stores, these different restaurants and bars that are on their three-block radius and support those places. Right. And then those people are also living in this neighborhood, so they, in turn, support the store up the block from them. Mm -hmm. You know, they're supporting the people within their own community, too. Right. So it's not like there's virtually almost never see fast food restaurants <laughs> except for like on the major strip streets right there's not like strip malls and like those sorts of things like mm-hmm. there's no emphasis on that so it's like it's almost as if the money just stays there it doesn't move out to some uh, major corporations offshore right. banking system right and so so i think this bigger zeitgeist of of staying local will eventually move to the art world and help artist. Um, but I was listening to Kurt Anderson last night. He does a WNYC show called Studio 360, and it's all about arts and culture. And it's one of the, I, I mean, I highly recommend it. If you guys are listening to this podcast, you would enjoy that podcast. But um, he was in LA and he was doing a story on car culture in LA. And, mm-hmm. you know, the problem with Southern California is that we are <laughs> we are the mecca. We are the car culture. This If, if anyone's going to keep the car industry alive, it's going to be L.A., and it's going to be places like San Diego. And so, um, but, you know, the bike, the cycling movement, like, people are getting bikes now. And yeah. I know some people who refuse to drive. Um, you know, I try to ride my bike as much as possible, but, like, how, you know, how would I have yeah, come you, here today? You would have had to leave yesterday. I would, yeah, or just be an extreme badass. <laughs> you can get that badassness. So, for sure. and, you know, we could, I could have maybe taken the... Um, trolley to La Mesa, but I used to try to take the trolley, when I lived in Tijuana, I would try to take the trolley to my office in Mission Valley, (laughs) Um, and it would take like three or four hours. I mean, it was too much of my day. I just, it was, it couldn't be done. It was not efficient. So, you know, we really have to completely rethink the structure of our cities. And in order to have that San Francisco thing that you're talking about. Well, and we see that too, right? Um, with this housing market thing, like it was, uh, it's almost like the way a star dies. Like it got, like everybody expanded out to the <laughs> suburbs and got further and further away from one another. Diluted family structures, you know, diluted working structures mm-hmm. caused us to have to drive 30 miles to work every day yeah. and, and waste half of the money that we get from that job on gas. Right. And then, you know, once a star expands, it then closes in on itself. So it, it, it seems like all the ants are going back to the, the ant hill, mm-hmm. you know, on the, you know, we, it'll be a slingshot back. That's like five analogies for one story. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm getting a bunch of visuals. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we could see that big rebound back yeah. towards the center. The, There's the, a lot of um, books on urbanism. There's a guy locally, Mike Davis, who, who I think his last book was about this very thing. Um, returning to the center, returning to the core, and now more than ever, um, especially places in like South America are kind of showing us how this is happening. China, um, people can't live in Mexico even. The reason we have so many immigrants to 
um, the United States is, is, you know, farming NAFTA passed and yeah. it never it became unsustainable to be a farmer in Mexico. So they all, you know, a lot of farmers had to lose their farm and come north to looking for it's work. It's amazing how many people don't understand that. <laughs> I know. It's really simple. It is simple. It's really simple. It's a, it takes one one day of research and you yeah. can learn all about how it is kind of our fault that there are a ton of Mexican people looking for work. What do you think? And what's you? I mean, you brought up um, Mexicans and Chinese, um, and both of those cultures have very strong um, family heritages. Yeah, you know, they like they stick together with the grandparents. Oh, you don't the... move out until you are married, and then you likely move in to your right, right. <laughs> family's house, one of the family's house. So it's it might be good to look at those yeah. structures and try to get a better idea of what what kind of mistakes we've made. I would love it. I mean, that's what you said. You know, I moved to Mexico when I was 20. I moved to Tijuana when I was 26, I think. Lived there for two and a half years. And part of the attraction was this, you know, I think capitalism breeds alienation. You know, like I have always struggled with this feeling of disconnectedness, aloneness. You know, I think everybody does. And I blame it squarely on capitalism. I mean, it's just, it's this you know, you have to move out when you're 18 and you have to get it, you know, you have to get a job and be independent and make money and, you know, to make the right amount of money to afford a place to live, you're working all the goddamn time. And it just like, you know, and then I moved to Mexico where rent is not as high. You don't have to work as much. Um, and you know, my landlord had three generations living right under one roof, you know, the yeah. grandpa, grandma, right. mom, dad, and then the son and daughter. And it was just a beautiful thing, beautiful, beautiful thing. And and I wish, you know, I wish our culture was more like that. Um, with these economic times, you see more people who are, graduate college and what do they do? They go move back home and live with the right. family because they can't afford to live on their own, which I think is kind of awesome. <clears throat> so, and, yeah, you know. and genetically, I think there's something to it as well that, that we're supposed to sort of keep those familiar bonds, mm -hmm. you know, and have it be a part of our daily lives, our daily survival, at least... You know, it wasn't that long ago that we really did depend on one another for survival. We didn't depend on bonds and uh, <laughs> going to the mall and that shit. Like, that shit didn't happen. Right. And even in these cultures that we were talking about, in China, in, in like an agricultural mm -hmm. type of, of village or, or, or area, those people are all feeding themselves and depending on one another for survival. Right. And there's something important to that. And we kind of, all of a sudden, we're... We just look towards government and commerce and, and the market, like the market's supposed to take care of us right. like in capitalism. Right. Know? And then we're supposed to try to just grab and get as much as we can. Right. Like if you're not the top dog, you're not important. <laughs> right. I mean, an economics professor in college, you know, my dad's an economist and I've always found it fascinating, but you know, it's, it's either the way he kind of put it was, you know, it's either that, that you battle in, in commerce or it's real world wars all in, you know, idle hands, basically. Like mm -hmm. we have to find something for the masses to do. And now I think artists don't get that because they're like, well, if I just had free time, I would make stuff. I would create, you know, like, <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> why, yeah. So get me out of this. But I think there are, I mean, I think everyone has the potential to be an artist or a creative person, but I think for a lot of people who've never tried or realize they're kind of inner artists, they would have no idea what they would do with so much idle time. Yeah. And so they have to sort of make their career, their passion, and engage in economics in order not to, you know, 
engaging right. killing each right. other. Right, it works for some people, right? Yeah. You know, it's hard, and it's hard to say without without any other frame of reference. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, growing up in this system, so it's like you know, that's what that's what we're familiar with. The the idle hands thing. I know it bothers a lot of people. Like like for instance, Crystal can't sit here for all day and no do something like it gets like cabin fever like right like you got to get out of here and yeah and it builds entertain anxiety. Your time. <laughs> but for me like if like when i'm out doing things i'm thinking about being locked up by myself doing my work like Interesting. that but you know and that's not to say that, that not all the time like i get cabin fever too like yeah particularly leading up to shows you know locked up working for months on end and then right. i just have to leave it alone and go just not think at all yeah but i think part of that problem with people in their idle time is that it's almost like the uh like long time convicted felon issue like when you're in jail for a long time and you're told when to get up when to eat when to take a piss <laughs> the whole thing when you get out and you have to get back into the real life yeah you're waiting for that person to tell you what to do and when to do this thing and how like to have like a strict schedule right and there's something about creative people too that they don't like to to not have a schedule every day is kind of stressful for people and there's something I've I've noticed before that there's sometimes too much freedom in freedom. <laughs> and maybe this it's coming that, from I don't a man hands. who has live free tattooed on his knuckles. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like you get to the point where you're like, okay, I could do anything. What do I do? My parents are workaholics, and I grew up with this sort of, you know. And it's funny because I don't think our generation will ever be as financially successful as our parents. Uh-huh. I've just kind of agreed to accept that like I probably I might not ever own a home you know and that was something that our parents and their parents that was understood Uh you would you would own a home it's totally in reach it's no longer in reach um so they but I mean they were workaholics and so I have that in me and that's a constant battle to kind of turn it off and say okay I got I have to relax I have to go do something other than work and move around and it's just this crazy anxious energy that was kind of instilled in me but with the i mean that's one of the good things that i think will come from this economic downturn is that you know there's less work (laughs) there's less work to do so you know hopefully we do less work and we find other avenues yeah become more innovative right Right. because that's what happens with all that idle time besides violence Right. <laughs> oh, yes. Besides <laughs> violence, it's a, and, and that's what's important for creative people. Mm-hmm. It's that idle time where your mind is quiet and not worried and anxious and stressed about bills and all that shit. Right. It's that meditative process that we get to to where we can just shut down the system. Right. And not worry. And, like, for me, like, I'm like, I, I don't even believe in money. It's not mm-hmm. even real to me. Well, it's not. Um, sorry, I'm a podcast geek. There's I know, I just listened to the... The Planet Money about how... No, 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 I didn't listen to that. Oh. <laughs> the, the new This American Life is uh, Oh, so see, that's the Planet Money, money team, and they have their oh, okay, own separate right. podcast, and they did a piece recently, and I don't know if it made it to This American Life, but... Oh, it did. It was the one... So they aired that months ago where it was about how money is a story made up. Uh-huh. It's a story... Which we, is a fictional I... thing we tell ourselves, and if you believe... If everybody buys in, then... Shit, it's real. Suddenly it's right. real because so many people believe in it. You talk about Brazil and... Uh, yeah. And I've been spouting off all that for, for quite some time, at least the last few years. Yeah. I really start to believe it. I know it's kind of like like hippy-dippy and like <laughs> it's really sort of... You have to be abstract about it to, to try to, to reason with the idea that money isn't real. But really it is. It's a big trust thing. And speaking of 
trust. It's the fucking Federal Reserve. They talk about that, too, buying up all the fucking mortgages. Right. That's why none of us are going to own any homes, because the fucking Federal Reserve is going to own them all. Mm, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't think the Federal Reserve has ever been um, too much in the situation where they own property, but now they own all this property, and it's so weird. Yeah. What, I mean, what the hell is going to happen? Yeah, it's. I mean, I think artists are the first people who could ever really... And, you know, they've done it already. And, you know, the communes of the 60s, the um, creative living situations are always typically run by art, arts, artists or at least creative people. Um, and, you know, you do bartering. Like, you give me a piece of art and, um, you know, I'll weed your garden, whatever. You know, and I, I think... I think artists are probably going to be on the forefront of any sort of movement back toward that. You know, they were big. There there was serious talk of it in the 60s. And I'm disappointed in our generation for many things, but (laughs) probably the biggest one is our loss of kind of that that 60s motivation to absolutely, they were going to change the world. And I don't even think our generation has ever said that. Aside from technology, like, oh, look at us and technology, and we're going to do all this stuff with technology. And technology is amazing. I mean, we're using it this moment right. yeah, <laughs> to communicate sure. it's an amazing communication tool and other things but but yeah i don't think we've ever pretended that we're going to change the world or save the world and it bums me out because i think we could i you know i think creative types do do that really i i feel like everything that i make is you know one tiny little adjustment to the to the paradigm right you know? yeah and and it's only because i have the time to think and not worry you know and that's that's the thing with uh with animals you know they get up and they go get some food and then they relax and we're really still meant to do a lot of those things mm-hmm. yeah no i mean it's what if you look at history you know why did adolf hitler go on a crusade specifically i mean one of his many evil crusades specifically to destroy um you know the art that was not realism like the art that departed anyway from you know norman rockwell the the realists like painting these happy you know people in these idealistic situations but it was all realism and and he wanted to destroy abstract anything that made people's mind wander from you know from the paradigm and it is it's a art is a very powerful thing you know yeah. i was listening my mom told me this story and i don't know she told it to me this morning about a guy who was in the bathroom and um there was a guy in a wheelchair, and he was like, oh, man, I, I'm going to have to help this guy. And so he tried to help him. Um, the guy ended up, you know, having difficulties going to the bathroom anyway, but it changed his life forever, and now he's an advocate for people with disabilities. And, you know, how many people... It's just these little moments in life that can change you. So you look at one piece of art that says live free, and you're a corporate rat stuck in the 9-to-5 grind, and suddenly, you know, like, your piece I bought because... Like, that's kind of what I felt I was doing at that time. I'm, we're in a podcast, so it's a it's a painting of a kind of log cabin out in this beautiful... I'm going to put that one on the blog, because okay. I don't know if you saw that. That was the first time I wrote Live Free on anything. Yeah. It was on that painting. And that's about... It says Live Free, and it's a powerful piece, and it was a powerful piece for me right at that moment, because I was... I quit my job. I didn't have a replacement job, and I wanted to move to the mountains, and that piece spoke to me, you know? And it just... It can... Art can change the world. Yeah. If only just, in these little moments of individual lives. You know, yeah, just giving you that extra little bit of motivation or yeah. like just having somebody else confirmation. Somebody else say like it'll be okay. Right. Yeah, like, like it's cool. You can, <laughs> yeah. go go live free, see what happens. So 
So yeah, I do think we could change the world, and I'm glad that you say that artistic, you know, art artists are still making that claim. Yeah, we're <laughs> shooting for the stars. The issue is that we just have to keep questioning things. Right. You know, like we have to, we have to question the status quo and make it be explained. You know, we have to, we have to be willing to say, oh, here's the story that we heard. What's the flip side of it? Right. And take the time to do that, and then not only do that. But express that in in a entertaining way and share it with a large group of people. Right. So, you know, marriage is one institution that I recently bought into. Uh huh. Congratulations. And thank you. But you know, when I met my husband, he was very you know he had been living in a a co op situation in Santa Cruz for a while. He was in kind of an open relationship with some someone else. Uh huh. I don't think he thought he was ever going to get married. And, you know, we questioned it, but then we thought about it and we thought about, you know, if it made sense and maybe we did go ahead and do the whole ceremony thing for our parents. <laughs> but um, it's an institution that we should question as well and say, okay, does teaming up with just one other person um, make sense? And why are we doing it? And how has it kind of... Because I do think marriage is also... It's a great thing, but it also is an alienating institution as well. Because once you team up with just one other person, you know, you are less likely to... You know, you're never going to... You're probably never going to live in a co-op situation again. <laughs> yeah, right. um, and then the question of children come in, which children can, you know, completely enslave you. So it's just something... We have to totally rethink the system, but we'll probably end up doing things relatively the same but if we could just put our little t creative twist on it that's all i'm trying or to children do. can be a great beautiful thing too children can be wonderful no i mean i'm i'm going i'm probably i'm buying into that institution too i mean if you ask my husband he would tell you how much pressure i put on it <laughs> but um it's something that we should all question yeah. that's what i'm saying i became a minister last year Congratulations. So I could do, I could do yeah. marriages. Oh, stuff. yeah. You want to um, baptize my child in the religion of... I don't think I can do up. baptisms. Oh. I don't have my, my Catholic priest license. <laughs> I don't, I think you you might can't get on the internet these days? You're well, I, I might be able to get a, an amendment to the uh, <laughs> to the ministry. But, um, yeah, I did that. My friend asked me to marry him and, and his wife uh, last year. And I've done, I've done two so mm -hmm. far. Crazy. Just one of those things where, like, last year I decided um, I'm just going to take on all things, like, if an opportunity arises. So, so for instance, the year prior, if he would have asked me to marry him, I would have figured out a way to say no, but in a nice way, just because it would have been scary, because I don't do public speaking, and, you know, <laughs> like, to stand up and do, like, a whole thing. Right. This last year, I, I made an effort to... to improve body and mind, and that included, like, doing things that would be scary, just, mm -hmm. and not... Not saying that I wouldn't do them just because of the fear. Nice. So instead of saying no when my all my instincts said to, I would just say yes. <laughs> Good for you. That's a great. It was it was tough, but it, you know, and it was only a couple of occurrences where I had to do that really. But this right. one in particular was like sort of special or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I've done a couple things, and um, I'm gonna do another one here sometime soon. I believe my friend and and her husband. Beyonce, <laughs> um, but like I have no sense that I need to go and get a marriage license and and go through the whole process. Like it almost, I I already feel married, right? Mm -hmm. Like except that I I don't call her my wife because we just seem to not have those titles. But we could give each other those titles at, at any moment if we right. wanted to, right? But um, so I'm that same like anti institutional like. 
I don't need a, a, a governmental body to tell me that it's uh, that I love this woman. Right. You know, yeah. like I'm pretty, I'm below the radar. That's in quotes, below the radar. <laughs> uh, so you know, like I'm, I try to not deal with the government as much as possible keep it out of my system and not like government is like this big evil thing but just like i don't need other people's okays Mm -hmm. you know or or some sort of binding legal contract i hate contracts even like with (laughs) galleries like sometimes i just don't even like fill out the contract really don't like i don't know i know it's bad business and like from a (laughs) businessman standpoint but then that's that thing again because if i don't believe money is real Mm -hmm. i don't really have to be concerned about being a business Right. You know, all I got to be concerned about is feeding me and my family. That's if true. I can figure out how to do that and, you know, I don't I don't need a bunch of fancy cars and big <laughs> houses, you know, like as long as I can feed the fams and, and do what's right and do good during the day, like I'm cool. Yeah, well, that's all you need. And I mean, it's the, there's the whole gay marriage thing to think about, too. It's like, why do you want to participate in a, in a contract, if you want to name it that, that, you know, is exclusive to only heterosexual preferences it's just silly so well that's what's funny about like a lot of like um like right-wingers when they're talking about gay marriage or like anti-gay marriage types like they say like why do you want uh our approval or like they like people don't want to um validate thing and they they try to say like oh what why do you need validation for your your marriage (laughs) but but meanwhile skipping over all the legal things like power of attorney or, or, you know, yeah, like, or uh, medical things, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's many reasons that. It's... Yeah. And it would be those sorts of things that would, that would eventually cause me to, to get like, <laughs> go through the whole entire process. What's up with the, the donkeys that they paint like zebras in TJ? <laughs> Do you know? I heard it was one man and, uh, this was back, back long ago. I'm not sure the specific date, but, um, one man who was the first to do it. And, you know, TJ has always been creative in, you know, getting the people who walk down revolution to give, hand over their money. Uh-huh. And so this was one of those things. He painted his donkey and, you know, thought that they would, he was very real in his, his thinking that the tourists would think it was a real zebra. And yeah. oh, how exotic. We're in this exotic land of Tijuana and, and, and look, there's a zebra and I'll get my picture taken with it. <laughs> but uh, it became the, and, and often things do, it became the kitsch aspect of the, of, yeah. oh my god, this is so funny. This guy painted a donkey with zebra stripes. I got my picture taken with the donkey. It worked. With a sombrero on. It worked and now they're all over. And um, sadly I was on Turista Libre, which is my friend Derek Chin does a tour He'd be a great person to have on the podcast one of these Derek days. Derek mm-hmm. email me. He does tours down there and with the hope of showing people the other side of Tijuana, not uh-huh. not revolution, not drugs, not, you know, right. all of your Charles Lovitz is supposed to come on at cool. some point here in the future. Oh, gosh, I haven't seen him in a long time. He's a... I did a lecture at one of his classes. Oh, you did? City. Yeah, it's funny. He's it turned into a three-hour... Uh, philosophical discussion on, <laughs> on the nature of reality and yeah he's a very intense philosophical guy his wife is is equally philosophical and interesting foy jimenez uh-huh. she's an artist back in the day like i really i really liked her work a lot and yeah. i haven't seen it in a long time well she had babies <laughs> she had babies yeah, she was and... in fact i thought she was one of the standouts of that sort of scene well yeah she did i mean you're big into history and she's big into you know aztec history and 
Mayan philosophies, and so all Speaking of her pieces. Of, I just did Salvia for the first time. I don't oh, know if you heard wow, it. I have. There's a Salvia podcast. How did that go? <clears throat> it was wild, but I did it a second time, and it was nowhere near the same intensity. You can never get back that first time. But um, as with there, most things, there's most different things. there's different um, potency levels. Oh, okay. So I started off on the bottom shelf. Mm. I did two little bottom shelf tries, and I think I could step up to the next the next version next time. Is it a hallucinogen? Does it make? Oh you... yeah, I it's full on hallucination. Wow. Um, the first time I did it, I close. If you keep your eyes closed and lay back and be still and don't say anything and sit in a dark room somewhere. Uh, you'll go into another dimension. My eyes were closed, but I was seeing a bright, vibrant, colored dimension of some sort that was totally different from anything. Is that is that your 2012 piece back there? Is that yeah? That's why I just finished that. Did it come from your salvia trip? No, no. <laughs> that uh, but it's you know, a Sumerian mask on there. Charles Glavitz and Foy are are um, very much into the 2012 lore. I don't know if you is that piece about the Mayan. Yeah, yeah, well, no, no, it's it's about the Sumerians actually. Okay. Which are pre-Mayan. A lot of people sort of skip over some of the other stuff that's important when talking about 2012 because mm-hmm. they all they seem to talk about is this Mayan calendar ending and then sort of leave it at that, and that's sort of only part of the story. The people who like Zachariah Sitchin and some of the people who who talk about these things, whether they're true or not, I don't know. It's just like a sort of regurgitation of things that I've read and, and heard or whatever. You know, the Sumerians were the first real civilization mm-hmm. and were the first ones to form these like modern type societies. First ones to to start writing were doing these tablets, which were like uh, farmer, first ones to do a farmer's almanac mm-hmm. so that, you know, they could, they were working in modern day Iraq, fertile little basin right there, right. you know, doing, growing grain and they talk about uh, a group of people that are called Anunnaki, which are a group of people that are supposed to have um, arrived from the heavens. These uh, reliefs that the Sumerians have, they have, uh, there's one in particular that shows the sun with all the planets around it, mm-hmm. including Pluto, and another planet that uh, is called Nibiru. Hmm. And Nibiru is supposed to be, it's a part of our solar system, but it's not on the same orbit as the rest of the planets Mm -hmm. inside of our solar system. It's on a a 3,600-year orbit. So it's actually like an oblong sort of um, a really stretched out oval orbit as opposed to our sort of elliptical orbit. And so it's been outside of our system for 3,600 years. And now if you look in... NASA knows that there's some humongous uh, mass out just outside of our solar system mm-hmm. that is likely to pass in between uh, Mars and Jupiter, or yeah. something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And they they don't really talk about what it is, and you know, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. But NASA for sure says there's this big fucking object out there, which just so happens to coincide with these ideas of the Sumerians of this planet that is on this this long cycle that they even say is supposed to line up right here, you know, like they, on their, these reliefs, it's in the, the position that this new large object that's now in, coming into our solar system, which is supposed to pass during the winter solstice of next year. This, Whether any of that's true or means anything. <laughs> this gets in, I mean, I think this is probably on your list of things to talk about, but not this, but, not this. but the vaccine thing. It's like, 
you know, there are all these stories that we tell ourselves and it ends up like that story, for instance, you know, I just, I would need more, I'm, I'm, I'm very into creative narratives and, um, I, I think I'm a pretty open-minded person, but things like that, I completely shut down to like bullshit, you know, it just, it's my bullshit meter goes off and I don't think anything's going to happen in 2012. And I think it's a story that people grabbed onto and they love it and they want (laughs) to, they want to cling to it. And Shit, one of the greatest uh, genre, film film genres, book genres um, for me, and I have dreams all the time, are these, you know, po- post-apocalyptic things. Why? Because the idea of erasing and starting over is so romantic to me. I mean, it's just such a, you know, of course, I'd have to be one of the lucky ones that survived, but... Well, you um, know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who buy into the idea that this that this planet has gone through a number of those types of cycles over and over again that yeah. you know the idea that that we need a fossil record to to understand what happened prior to say the dinosaurs or something the 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 likelihood of finding fossils is so it it, it has to be the perfect scenario like the mm-hmm. perfect storm just to preserve a fossil record of something. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that believe that the, the, the Earth has gone through a lot more cycles than we have any way of even knowing. Right. And for me, like, I can go ahead and just open my mind to a lot of different things because I know that I don't know shit. <laughs> this, this, this whole world is such a mystery that even me talking to you right now is not reality. Mm-hmm. Because on a molecular level, if we get down to it, we're just a bunch of little atoms bouncing around off things that just look like desks and look like you in this right. in this form and structure. If my senses are so easily able to trick me in this solid matter reality, for me to even think that I have any idea what this planet has been <laughs> through is is asinine. Yeah, right? no, I don't even know what a hundred years was like. <laughs> the humans a hundred years ago were something totally different from me. I have no connection to that, and I never will besides, like, the blood and little atoms that are still bouncing around in my system. Because there's still the same atoms and and particles of energy that were those same things 100 years ago, 100,000 years ago. It's still the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, there's the Built to Spill song that how can we... Uh, how can we have conventional wisdom in a world that's so unconventional? We think we have all these, like, physical structures and, like, uh, these laws of physics that we, like, are bound to. This shit is all something totally <laughs> different than we have any way to even perceive. Well, the Tao of physics. I mean, the uncertainty principle. It's all really trippy shit. They're studying it and shit disappears right in front of their eyes, you know? And and the I think it's the uncertainty pr- principle that's about your perception changes reality. And there's actually a show tonight at um, Jet Gallery. It's uh-huh. an installation piece and they're kind of looking at that idea. More on, I mean, they don't mention the uncertainty principle. They, um, But that that's what they're talking about. They're saying, you know, a place is a place, but when you're there, it's a different place. And yeah, the power of perception is insane to me. Yeah, it's, so, it's weird because in, even in podcast, even in interviews, when I re-listen to audio, there are whole segments that I'm like, when, what? She said that? And I, where was I? I was like, yeah. and I can tell listening to my voice because I ask the next question, which has uh-huh. nothing to do and clearly shows that I wasn't listening to what the person was saying. Right. And I'm like, oh my God, it's just the reality of that moment. Our brains totally are tricking different. us on, on so many different levels. This whole thing could simply be a perception of my mind. Like, you could not even be real. Like, just yeah. a made-up right. part of this world that 
I've formulated in this consciousness. (laughs) Because, I mean, you could look at red, and red could be something totally different from what my red experience is. And we never know what one another is. Yeah, because how do you communicate red? So the idea that we could even have any clue as to what happened 6,000 years ago, or like what those things meant, or even have an understanding of what those people or what life was like back then, Mm -hmm. it's so abstract. We have no way to really connect with it on any even logical or intelligent level no, we can try I mean, we can no, do our have, best there's stories about when you know the first europeans were coming over and the native americans would have trouble seeing seeing the ships because they had never seen anything like that because it just what so so there had to be like a shaman or someone to kind of translate that reality and kind of bring it into the perception of of natives who had never seen something like that so it's almost like they couldn't see them until this shaman would you know, explain to them. And, I, you know, I don't know if I even believe that story. But yeah, see, that, the, that, power that, the bullshit meter. <laughs> Turn the bullshit meter on the right power, there. The power of perception, I do believe in, and I think, you know, it's it's trippy shit. We it's like how do you for a long time. How do you even believe any history? Mm-hmm. Like, a, any history book could just be put together, and if enough people believe it, like the dollar bill, and enough people trust in the Federal Reserve, then it becomes real. Yeah. It's a like agreed upon mythology. story, you know. We all agree agree that that was true and move forward. But yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, you know, I like that. Look you... up NASA and the, the. I'll try to. I'll put a link. I'll put some links in the blog for this one. Okay. I'll, I'll find something for you. Just once NASA finally admitted something was in that space, mm-hmm. it brings up enough questions like, "Well, what the fuck is that?" Sure. And there's so much we have. We don't even know what the fuck is going on in our own oceans, let alone. <laughs> light years into space you know at yeah. least i don't know what the fuck is going on out there <laughs> let's uh let's move on oh but okay so that sort of started with the the autism mercury debacle mm-hmm. which happened on your facebook <laughs> an 80 with comment, three simple words <laughs> an 80 comment facebook thread that kill your email I apologize um, for oh, that's okay. your email. No, if I, I could have put them all in one post, I would have. <laughs> it wasn't just you. Um, no, it's it's interesting because that's always been a really sensitive. I didn't realize how sensitive a, a subject or topic it is until the Facebook post. It's something that I've run into more and more as I get older, and I am, you know, getting closer to having my own kids, where I'm going to have to make these decisions. So I'm right. thinking about it a lot more. Um, but what and it's been in the news lately because of a Jenny McCarthy and b they just uh, found out that this the studies that the kind of autism is connected to vaccine um, movement relied on were recently found out to be completely falsified. Yeah, does that um, ever make you wonder how many other um, scientific papers are put out and are also falsified? Like how many slipped through the cracks? <laughs> I wonder. The peer review process is you know pretty tried and true but you're absolutely right it's but once you have a set of peers that you work with and you know i don't know the process but (laughs) like within any sort of group of people that work together there's always sort of some things that don't occur on the surface you know like backroom deals like if you're working with your homeboys like for instance let's say let's 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 tie it to our connection we did a a little thing for sit you did a, a shout out for the city beat the calendar right now, my, one of my paintings got picked for the, oh. the picture and the thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think if me and you didn't have a connection to one another, that, that the likelihood would be the same that my painting would get picked? That's interesting. I or mean, do you think the percentage rate? What do you, do you think the percentage rate would change? I think that's a little different, just because. No, I know, but I'm trying to relate media, it to. Yeah. Uh, to um, 
I think how things work on a human to human, not like this strict scientific process. Because I guarantee you, people, yeah, people get lazy you, and skip well, yeah, a lot that's of steps. why it made it through. And I mean, I think there's, I think I, I, I heard an interview about you know, let's look at the peer review process and let's see how this happened. And a lot of times it's um, excitement that they want it. You know, so many people want it to be true that they kind of just look the other way a little bit and. Um, well, our brains will will our brains have a way to trick us into holding on to our beliefs. Oh yeah, which is a reason that I've recently in this last year, what I tell you, trying to improve myself mm-hmm. is to not hold, even hold on to beliefs, but more uh, ideas. If if you get too locked into a belief, all of a sudden you have to defend that belief, and once you start defending a belief, it builds up as this thing that's yours, and you want to protect it, and your mind will actually protect those thoughts and beliefs. And, and do whatever it can to avoid taking in the opposing belief and trying to switch it. Right. It's almost like a, it's almost like a chemical reaction. Yeah, I mean, you saw, going back to the 80, you know, 80 comment long thread on Facebook, that you saw a lot of people that had their immediate gut re- reaction of, you know, no, fuck vaccines, which is yeah. like, that was said by my best friend. I grew, you know, best friend and all of, you know, I grew up with her since which she I want, was 13. I want to say this on, on air too, is that this is something that I've, I've looked into for a good five plus years and I'm nowhere near ha- ready to have kids. Yeah. But just based on things that, like that, the reading that I've done and the, the distrust that I have with governmental bodies mm-hmm. and even like the pharmaceutical industry, I'm more likely to not believe them than I am to believe them because they've ruined my trust over and over and over again. So it's like it's like being in a relationship where you get cheated on and get cheated on and cheated on and you still run back to that same relationship for some fucking stupid reason. I've I've made a choice to to separate myself from that and find the thing and you know again it's like hippy dippy sort of shit and you know we're not talking i'm not talking about polio or autism here but even with autism like the reality is is that a lot of the these problems that we're having are caused by the foods that we eat and the the things that we're putting into our body yeah i mean plain and simple and the more (laughs) you do it the more you do it the more health issues that we're going to face. If we were still eating vegetables that grew out of soil that wasn't contaminated with heavy metals and fucked up, uh, you know, agricultural products to make your plants look pretty, <laughs> like we wouldn't be having these issues. If we were drinking natural water that wasn't fucking tainted with mercury, like we wouldn't be having these fucking problems. Well, that's what we bums me we out. We wouldn't have uh, uh, fluoride. Well, that's exactly right. And and that's what bums me out about the anti-vaccine movement is that especially the autism connection, it's just not proven. It's just not there. And there are so many other things that we should be looking into where maybe the autism, because autism is up. And yeah, we so, have to... so let's talk, let's let's move on then. But I want to say <laughs> that that guy can still go fuck himself. Because I, I, really, I really don't like when people, this, this dude is a scientist apparently, he just gets smug and like sort of like, you're wrong and I'm right, and so that's the way it's going to be because I'm a scientist. Where like in this debate, like I tried to um, share other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. I went on and I, I got um, scientific reports. The guy tells me, uh, if you want to have supporting things, you have to go to this fucking website. I go to the website and get like supporting documents clearly stating that there's there's problems with vaccines that it, that there's there's they're causing neurological damage, and then it's still not good enough. And all he does is just go, no, that's not right. You're not right because I said this <laughs> is that. But meanwhile, not giving me any supporting evidence. I'm I'm 
I'm totally open. If you give me a paper that I could read that says like, that doesn't make sense, that doesn't make sense, that doesn't make sense because of this, this, and this, then I'm, I'm cool with changing my mind because I don't keep beliefs. If I see paper after paper after paper saying heavy metals and mercury in your system, regardless of whether thermosol was removed in 95 or not, that it's still getting used, you know, in, in a lot of, in a lot of things, particularly in like the H1N1 and all these flu shots and shit that are getting given to old people mm-hmm. and to young people. Well, you right. Know? And that's what, and my whole point and the, was and the, 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 not sorry. believe the hype. My entire point Fuck you, Jenny McCarthy, was to say, don't believe her, you know, do your own, do your own research. And the fact is, I mean, and this, I'm going to say it from my, we we are lucky enough to come from from the perspective of never having a huge outbreak. Aside from the H1N1, which didn't really, you know, affect anyone I know. all those are all bullshit. So if you talk to, you know, our parents, for one, they have friends that were, their bodies were completely ravaged and destroyed through polio. Now, polio was completely eradicated thanks to the help of vaccines. So they, that generation saw the, the positive things that could come out of that vaccine. Now, flash to our generation, we get to come from the perspective where we've never seen these crazy diseases that completely, you know, can annihilate certain populations or destroy so people's have. body. What about AIDS and what about the, the rise of cancers? And then let's talk about autism and the rise of autism. What's so, causing so, it? So, so, so if there were a vaccine for AIDS... You better fucking believe I would be first in line to get... I would I would get my kid that vaccine. There, there's a lot of interesting stuff coming out about AIDS right now. Well, but it, the, the fact is, if there... Yeah, if there were, uh, you know, some magical vaccine for all cancer, you better believe I would get that for myself and my kid. I don't give a fuck if a little bit of ethyl mercury is in there, which is metabolized easier, which is not, you know, not linked to anything. Not linked to autism. It, but it's, there is. It's, I, <laughs> I posted links to, to that to a, a the majority, scientist's study that said ethyl mercury is bad for your neurological system. It might not cause <laughs> autism, but that doesn't mean that down the road that there isn't some sort of... Connection. But the majority of science is on my side, and that's just a fact. The majority put, of science is in favor. One paper doesn't does not a case see, that, of that, That's how... That's, and it's really true. It's absolutely true. You know, and that that's the problem with this argument in which I found out is I can, you know, be as coherent as I can, you know, nine babies have died from pertussis in, in, in California, two locally here in San Diego. Why? Because a bunch of fucking parents who listened to Jenny McCarthy, who didn't do their research, decided not to give their kids the pertussis vaccination. Right, so, um, well, let's take it a step further. Why are kids getting whooping cough? That's pertussis. That's that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, but I know. But so they're what, getting what is it causing because people stopped cough. getting vaccinations. But where is the whooping cough coming from? To it came from. With? Usually, it comes from families that travel. So, like when we had the measles outbreak a few years ago, I don't know if you remember that. No. That was from um, actually a ninety-four nine DJ, I believe, who went to. Yeah, I think I remember. Who went like to that. Sweden and then came? I think it was Sweden, and where they don't have the vaccination so much. Some 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 other country. They come back. They give it to um, all these other kids, and babies died in that. So and, and babies who are too young to get the vaccination yet are exposed to these diseases and then killed. And parents who choose chose not to vaccinate, th- that blood, I truly believe, is on their hands. It's a public health, and it might so not affect about, you, what, but it'll... What about it could... the gentleman that was, that was on the thing who said that his daughter, he chose not to vaccinate his daughter. Meanwhile, the, the children that they played with were vaccinated... 
were the ones that got whooping cough. I don't theoretically. Believe, a, I don't believe them, and B, it's anecdotal. I mean, I, I just, I can't see, take one. But there's something story. really wrong with that. Like to, to totally disregard an idea because it's a, a because it's a singular person's um, story. I think it, it is is sort of ignorant because because when we look at statistics, statistics are such bullshit anyway. Like it's almost just as ignorant, I guess, for me. But to to tell me, okay, here we studied a hundred kids, and this happened. It's better than studying kids. one kid, <laughs> you know? But you, that's, that's a, what that's, science is, is but taking a, numbers and grouping. But see, maybe them. that's the problem then. I would much rather understand one person's real personal experience and understanding of a situation. I take, I trust more a person, a parent who tells me a story than a group of emotionless scientists. And that's just me. That's just I know, the way and see, that, and that's I, that, why I, that I, I, can't, I take my opinion. And that's why, um, I mean, that's a trick that journalists do. When you, when you read a science story or when you read any story, we use an anecdotal lead because we know, I know that you want to read about a it's personal not because I'm stupid, It's not. It's, it's, it's absolutely because I not. have it's empathy a, and, I, and that's right. the way to understand. That's the way to grab people Right. is what I'm saying. And, and then you But it's not about the, grabbing people. It's about real life experience. Right. But that's how you grab people. I'm saying from a... Like, a good science writer would take that anecdotal lead and say, meet Sarah, she had this, and meet her parents, she had this happened, and then you weave in the scientific data to back that up, because that's the way people relate to things. That's the way people understand things, and it makes sense. I'm the same way. I, I probably would read an anecdotal story over a um, scientific research paper any day of the week, but my point in, the, in that whole, you know, I, I'm not going to add anything more to that Jenny McCarthy post because I really do believe people, I'm not going to change anyone's mind. Maybe I made someone think about one for something for one second. You, you know, remind me that when I do have kids, I am going to look and look at the ingredients. Yeah. I think we should all look well, at Well, I'll tell you, I spent a number of hours that day going over and trying to find information that not only supported my arguments, but also um, argued against them. And I'll be honest, I found very little, if any, arguments against my opinions that well, I have. Well, that's your, that's the but problem. But I was looking Google. for it. I know, but that's, but you probably. Where, where you, else, where else is the information? It's. If it's not on the internet, where else is the information? Well, no, I'm just saying the problem. Because we can't have anecdotal, like, singular causes. I'll, I can send you some, some reports that, I, you know, but there where, were a lot but, of. But where can we find them? Where can average people. You can, who, you can Google it. And actually, I'm really. <laughs> You well, because well, I'm, I'm, really, I'm, I'm saying people start from this perspective and you're going to Google something and you're going to get the information you're looking for. Honestly, the majority of people still get vaccinated because the majority of people still... This is a new movement. This anti-vaccine thing is a very new Well, particularly movement. since the amount of vaccines in a young age went up right significantly right like now finally questions were like jesus why am i giving my kid this and why and so what is your answer to that do you have an answer to that why do you think yes that there's I such think, a, an overabundance um because it's it, it worked in the past and so they're hoping it'll work in the future but it, it also i do think you can say no to some of them and you should say no to some of them probably um, I, at I, least space it out. At least space it out. At least um, t talk to your doctor, get the ingredients. And I mean, I think I, I think I think a lot of people get talked to when they go to a doctor, and and a lot of people who, especially people who are passive and not very uh, even knowledgeable or uh, uh, confident in themselves to to question this authority figure. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't do that. If a doctor tells you to do something, they do it. If a police officer tells you to do something, they do it. 
And that's what I'm really tired of in particular. And you see it in these things like this. Like, people just go shoot their kids up with fucking flu every every year. And it's, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think the because people... Because our bo- I think we've lost track because we're so dependent on other people and other things that we've lost track over the strength our body actually has. Like, I've literally healed myself for the last 10 years from any sort of, mm-hmm. just you know, basic flu or, or colds or whatever. None of them have done anything to me, and it's based on eating the right foods, having a healthy, hydrated body, mm-hmm. and, and not pumping myself full of, of um, antibiotics mm-hmm. month after month, year after year after year. I haven't put anything in the system besides weed, <laughs> <laughs> the miracle drug, <laughs> in, in literally over 10 years, mm-hmm. and I don't get sick. Right. No, and I absolutely... I and do. that's obviously a really minor thing in comparison to when we're talking about polio. Right. Well, no, and I think that's also a new problem is um, there's this documentary called Babies where they show the lives of four babies from birth to one years old. And you see these babies in Mongolia, this baby who's crawling through, you know, cow dung. You People in the U.S. would be so disgusted. Like, oh my God, everything has to be clean, antibacterial, everything, clean the floor. Oh my God, don't let the baby put that in. Oh my God, the baby's eating dirt. Let the baby eat dirt. Let the baby crawl on the ground. Let the baby be around animals. Let it get its immunities going. And that, that is a huge problem. I think, you know, we should take a look at antibacterial. The antibacterial problem is huge. And, and we do need to build up our own immune systems. And So do you think, do you have any opinions on, on what the spike in autism could be caused by? Do you think there's anything? I don't. And, you know, my mom actually, is, uh, she just resigned, but she was the um, executive director of a it's called Community Connections. They provide services for children and adults with disabilities. So I've been around kids with autism. My mom, you know, has her master's in early childhood development, and she doesn't pretend to know. Greatest doctors out there don't pretend to know yet. Down in Mexico and TJ, there are kids that play beneath maquilas, maquiladoras, that are on the hillsides above, and they're playing in this water that is highly polluted, and mercury poison still happens. You know, we can we can agree to disagree on some things, but I think what we agree on is the fact that people need to continue to research and continue to question these well, things. Why is the rate of cancer up? There's definitely been some bad stuff that has been put into um, our parents' bodies the, <laughs> some uh, studies that were the, done. The film that the lady who did... Um... Blue Vinyl, which I posted some links to her work as well. And that's what, when I when I bring up all this other stuff, times where these drugs did fuck us up and these drugs did cause detrimental problems down the line, mm-hmm. it's these things that I can look at and be like, if I have any sort of doubt, I'm going to lean towards but they're going to fuck us. But you can't look at, you know, the person that didn't get polio or the person that didn't die of measles as a kid, you know, because it's a happy ending and no one's going to watch it. Like, look, these 1.2 million people didn't get this. You know what I mean? So it's much easier to tell that bad story than it is the positive story. Now, let me ask you this, um, just based on sheer ignorance. If, uh, let's say, let's say all polio shots Mm -hmm. or uh, vaccines were stopped today, how would polio rise again going to countries that don't vaccinate and haven't in the past so polio does still exist um i think in other parts of the world but it there could be a day when it's gone Which is and that's when we stop it's in those countries too that we find the the heavy thermosol and um and high uh mercury level 
preservatives in in these countries, which are just as important. When we're, yeah. That was a point that I wanted to bring up in this topic, because when we're talking about this, we're really just thinking of Americans, right? Like our culture, mm-hmm. like that when we're thinking about this. These pharmaceutical industries that are creating these these vaccines are also bringing them throughout the entire world, where there's a lot of other places where there isn't any discourse, mm-hmm. there isn't anyone checking to see the the amount of toxins that are in something. So these people are just as important as me and you, right? That's true. And and I am glad you brought that up because my point, you know, in a lot of the posts, people say, kept saying, Mercury, Mercury, and I kept saying, why can't you respond to the fact that Mercury has been removed from many of these vaccinations? And nobody, nobody did. Nobody ever did. But you're right. Um, the only reason it was ever removed was that people in the U.S., parents spoke up and were like, wait a minute, why? And, okay, okay. And, and they spoke up because it was doing something, right? Right. Well, no, they spo- well, they, they suspected it was doing something. Studies did not confirm, but because studies did not confirm either. You know, so... I, and that's, that phrase I found in a lot of the papers saying that there wasn't a connection between autism and mercury and vaccines, that there wasn't enough studies done to conclusively say, say that, that there wasn't. wasn't. Yeah, and so, so they took it out. A, there isn't a yes or no Right, real which answer. is why they removed it, because they were like, you know what, we don't probably, this is my, me giving a voice to the FDA, you know, uh, we don't think it causes it, but we'll go ahead and remove it anyway. You know what I mean? Because we can't prove otherwise. We can't prove beyond a doubt that this isn't harmful. So... And when, when I come to find out that the people who are making these decisions mm-hmm. are the same people getting checks from the pharmaceutical industries like Lilly and Pfizer and all these these major companies who are the ones that are profiting from people taking these things. Mm -hmm. When those people are the ones who are the voices to the FDA, the people who are advising them as to what choices they should make for the general public, Mm -hmm. I find there's a a conflict of interest Uh in that. And it's that same thing that I was talking to you before. If if two homeboys are working on a deal together, if they need to just shuffle into the back room for a minute to do a couple things that the, the general public doesn't see, mm-hmm. like pass a couple hundred thousand saying, this is okay, which we've seen. We could, there's a number of, uh, of drugs throughout history that we could go through and, and have seen that happen, yeah, like with sure. uh, antidepressants and, mm-hmm. and, and those sorts of things. And obviously, a, a much minor level in, in terms of like polio and these like, crippling, debilitating diseases that mm-hmm. could wipe out masses of people at one time, mm-hmm. you know. And obviously we need to think about those things. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the anti-vaccine people would change their mind if some new disease crept up and started killing thousands, if not millions of people. Um, I think you would see those anti-vaccine people lining up to get this sure. this vaccine. So thank God it's there. Um, but again, you know, the anti-vaccine people have brought up a good point. They've pushed to have mercury removed, which is a good thing. Um, and, and again, they've reminded us that we should all look at the ingredient list and make sure that all of, not just say yes blindly and say, okay, you're a doctor, give my baby six shots in a row. You know, that's scary. So. And I think, I think that's what, what people should focus on. Yeah. And again, in even having that stance, I'm more than willing to, to have a change of heart or a change of mind. Like I'm, in fact, I would, I would, I would welcome it. Right. Because then that would mean that these things that some people are doing are actually for the good 
yeah. of, of all of us. <laughs> which I know there's people who out there that still do that. They gotta exist. <laughs> they do. It's just they seem to never be in positions of power <laughs> for some reason. I don't well, know if know, power even, corrupts or what. Well, but. even people in power don't want to wipe out the population that they're in power of. So that's <laughs> always a good thing to remember. Like even Not, the, the, not always. <laughs> not always. They have Sometimes an interest of keeping us alive. Come on. You have to give me that. Yeah, if you're working and... and making products for them yeah, yeah. once you uh, once we you become obsolete <laughs> let's plug some of your stuff so that we can so people can find your work out there um let's see well sdcitybeat.com is where i'm the arts writer and i do a blog there that's sdcitybeat.com forward slash canvas let's talk um, about your podcasting i saw the otai um yeah. erosion blog which was really or the <laughs> audio Blog, yeah, like so podcast. I'm doing more podcasts and hopefully videos, adding video soon. I just got a video camera, Sweet. so that'll all be on the homepage. We do a weekly events podcast. You can find us in the iTunes store at um, just search San Diego City Beat. Um, it's called the To Do List, and then you know KinseyMoreland.tumblr. I think that is my do Twitter is at Twitter? Kinsey. I don't like Twitter. I think it's a toxic environment, but. Um, uh, Twitter's toxic, but <laughs> ethyl mercury, chilling, no problem. Mentally toxic. Mentally it's, toxic. Um, people are abusive. That's like ethyl mercury, mentally toxic. <laughs> and I think Facebook is, is, actually I'm on Facebook more than I'm on Twitter now. Yeah, it seems like there's not as much back and forth. Yeah, Twitter's well, a little one-sided sometimes. Yeah, Twitter's just weird. It's a good place to check links. But... I like that there isn't 80 comments. That's true. You can't comment a million times and fill up your email, but... Um... I had a shitload of emails yesterday, too. I know. Um, so but that, that German Shepherd can go fuck himself. <laughs> but I mean, I'm a really nice guy. It's weird when I get into those things with people, because I'm not that hard to get along with, I don't think. No. No, and it's, um, arguing on the internet is just a bad idea. It never goes well. Somebody people, always gets douchey. Someone gets douchey, and it's just hard, you know, because of that an anonymity thing, you know, he's uh, an anonymous yeah. thing. Yeah, motherfuckers wouldn't have those types of conversations with me face-to-face. -face. Right. And I would never, and it would never have to get to a level like no. to where I have to tell somebody to go fuck themselves because they're being a douchebag. Because it would, it would never ever get to that point. Because when you're talking to somebody face to face, you you it's show them respect. Harder to be a douchebag. <laughs> and, and if you don't, there's a likelihood you might get punched in the mouth, exactly. which sometimes is good for people like people who run their fucking mouths too much and don't know what it's like <laughs> to get to get punched in the eye and they understand like there's something humbling about getting punched in the mouth. Yeah. That like you're like. Ooh, maybe I should um, be more respectful to other people, or or shouldn't be so quick to judge others so fast. Yeah. You know, like I'm I'm sure I I'm owed ten fucking punches in the mouth. For <laughs> who knows what? But you know, uh, it's it's humbling sometimes. You know, and a lot of people look at violence as a bad thing, and sometimes it, there's some positives to be found. It's like disciplining your dog. <laughs> yeah, which my dog has been great the whole time. <laughs> All right, thank you very much for doing thank the you. show. I yeah. appreciate it. say die I'll likely never know the answer why